0: Welcome to Growth Colony, Australia's B2B podcast. I'm Alex from Xgrowth. Each episode, we bring you B2B founders, CMOs, marketing and sales leaders to find out what makes them successful and what was behind their failures, or as we like to call them, hard-learned lessons. If you enjoy the episode, please consider giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and share the pod with a friend you think could get value out of it. And of course, make sure to join the community Slack channel at growthcolony.org forward slash Slack. That's enough from me though, let's dive right in.
1: Hello everyone, welcome to another episode. I'm Shaheen Hoda with Xgrowth and today I'm talking to John Miller, CMO of Demandbase. John is one of the pioneers and trailblazers, not only in the ABM space, but in the B2B space in general. He was the co-founder of Marketo and one of the first people to predict the rise of marketing automation back in the day. Most recently, he launched and founded Engageo that very quickly became one of the key players in the ABM space right until its acquisition by Demandbase. Now, today, I'm talking to John about what new developments are happening and he's seeing in the ABM space, and what is he predicting in the near future? I'm super pumped for this conversation. John, thanks for joining us.
2: Yeah, thank you for having me. Good topics to talk about.
1: No, absolute pleasure. As I said, I'm a, I'm a big fan, and and I've uh, you know I've, I've I've consumed a lot of the content that you put out. I printed out the the second edition of uh, of the ABM book and went through back to back when uh, when I was kind of starting with with ABM and we were we were uh, figuring out things. So, but one of the more interesting things that you've recently started talking about is this transition from account based marketing to account based experience. Why are we seeing this transition? Why, why do you think this is important?
2: The, I think the best way to talk about it is almost to actually rewind a little bit first and how I got into ABM in the first place. Because you know, obviously I was at Marketo and you know, we built Marketo on a kind of traditional demand generation model you know, where we ran campaigns and webinars and content and we'd capture leads and then we'd like nurture them, and score them and pass them to sales at the right time. And, and, and that it really did work for us and it helped to drive our growth. But it sort of started. Well, and, and, and what was great about it, you know, is our salespeople weren't just cold calling folks and kind of weren't, weren't going after people who didn't want to talk to them. Right. We waited until somebody's score got high enough, you know, that when we called them, they would actually be probably interested in talking to us. And that was a really good thing. But the problem was there were limits to how far we could scale that approach. You know, as you know, I couldn't double the number of webinars and double the number of leads. I certainly couldn't double the no, number of blog posts and double the number of leads. And so we needed some new ways to drive growth. And what we did is we 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 just called it outbound marketing at the time, where we sort of just identified some of the bigger accounts that we really wished we could get as customers, but who weren't coming and responding to our campaigns. And we started trying to figure out how to go after them. And ultimately, that is what became known kind of as account-based marketing. And it was the challenges of doing it, that kind of other marketing at Marketo that inspired me to start Engageo because I realized how hard it was to measure the results and orchestrate the actions and, and things like that. So at the time, I sort of started using this analogy to describe the two styles of marketing. You know, what the demand gen inbound stuff that we had been doing, that was like fishing with a net where I didn't care specific lead responded to my campaign. I just cared. Did I get enough responders? Whereas the account based marketing outbound motion was like fishing with the spear. We identify those big whales and those big fish and we went after them. Okay, so that was sort of (laughs) the Engageo era, if you will. And then you fast forward a few years and I'm looking at how I see companies practicing ADM and I realized there was a problem. And the problem was that they were going after accounts, big, interesting accounts, but regardless of whether that account was actually interested in hearing from them. And, you know, they were spamming them with, you know, SDR cadences. and Maybe they were sending them bottles of wine or, you know, who knows what. But, you know, across all these things, what I realized is that ABM had lost that kind of respect for the customer experience that demand generation had, i.e. in demand gen, we only called people when they were kind of ready. (laughs) And in ABM, we're going after people who may not be interested in hearing from us. And what I realized it was obvious in how, in my analogy, which is it doesn't feel very good to get poked by a spear. So I realized we needed something new and something different, something that could kind of combine that respect for the customer experience that demand gen had with the precision and targeting that traditional account-based marketing had. And that was the inspiration for account-based experience or, or ABX, you know, that kind of to combine both those things and attempting to really you know, we're still going after accounts, but we're, we're gonna align how we interact with them and treat them based on where they are in their journey. You know, and only kind of stick the SDRs and salespeople on them, if you will, at the right time. And we'll use other strategies and other tactics kind of with other pieces. So that's the big idea of account-based experience. The other, if, if one other reason why it's, I think, good it's, oh well it has a cool acronym of abx but but the other reason why i think it's a trend they're going is because there's another flaw in account based marketing inherent just in the name which is that it was frankly just about marketing and you know, anybody who's practiced abm knows it's not just about marketing you know it, we we obviously need sales and other teams you know heavily Fully involved as part of the whole process, so I just like the ABX concept as a bigger umbrella that kind of can bring all the departments into it.
1: So, John, that that makes sense. That transition from kind of demand gen to ABM to ABX, uh, it makes sense. With this whole transition to ABX, what do you think about? Account expansion and customer marketing. I I know. I remember you talking about. Um, you used to say eighty percent of revenue now comes post sale, post purchase, and a lot of focus needs to be put on. Marketers need to put a lot of focus on, that eighty percent that is after an SDR closes a deal. What do you? How do you think that comes into the mix?
2: Yeah, I mean it's, it's super important. I mean, just if you there's like such a bias built into Marketo and the traditional demand generation processes uh, towards just focusing on the new business, the new logo. Um, And then I mean, today, like so many marketers, they're measured and paid just on kind of new business opportunities and pipeline. And the whole kind of post-sale tends to almost be like left as an exercise to the reader at a lot of companies. But exactly as you say, that's disconnected from where companies actually make money. Obviously, software and service companies make money on renewables and expansion, but so many companies are subscription today that you know it's kind of kind of true across the board. So you know, ABX, ABM always did talk about marketing to customers as well as you know talking to accounts. I just found like a lot of people who were out there you know poking their customers with spears were focusing on getting in accounts right and so again because ABX brings a sort of more holistic view of the experience I think it does do a you know or it's intended to kind of heighten the focus on the entire customer journey and yeah you got to create awareness at new accounts and create opportunities at new accounts but you also need to be sort of working your open opportunities and your existing customers and and kind of finding a holistic balance there which is great in principle and there's nothing about ABX that, or even ABM, that sort of prevents that. I think honestly, the real challenge is that uh, the way marketers are measured and comp is going to have to change. If somebody's being just still measured on how many MQLs they created or how many new business opportunities they created, that's what they're going to be focused on. That's a,
1: that's that's an interesting question. How do you think it should change? Like, what is what are some of the models that you've seen that works for? you know sales and maybe sales development and marketing compensation so that it matches abm initiatives a bit better or abx initiatives a bit better
2: well just specifically in terms of compensation
1: yeah have you come
2: across anything i mean so like one of the things we do at demand base you know it you know is we have goals for pipeline creation that are both new business pipeline as well as expansion pipeline you know, creation. So that's that's like a baby step, right? Just you know, making sure that people are thinking about that is when they're planning their campaigns and planning their programs. Hey, how are we going to drive those expansion dollars? At Marketo, we actually eventually got to the point where we hired an SDR who focused on calling into our customer base. Oh wow. You know, well, because what happened what was happening was we would get customers just signing up for our regular webinars and downloading our content. And they would be meeting our criteria for being quote unquote elite. But the SDRs were not calling those people. They weren't following up on them because they're only paid on generating new business opportunities, you know? And so what we realized is we needed, you know, somebody just kind of literally follow up on all this interest, you know, Hey, Mr. Customer, why'd you download that ebook? Oh, you're interested in this other thing? Well, let me introduce you to our sales. I mean, uh, right. and so I, love this, that. I, I just think it's just changing the things we do a little bit, but to have a focus on how are we going to expand the account, not just
1: you know get our foot in the door in the first place. So you brought SDRs, which which is which nicely kind of feeds into my next question of what should what should the regular interaction between sales and marketing look like now? Um, that we're talking about ABX in and, 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 and this context?
2: Yeah, I mean, the, the, the model needs to change. I mean, the, the traditional demand gen model was, I think, really modeled on like a relay team with a baton handoff, you know, where marketing would generate the lead and they'd hand it to the SDR who qualified to hand it to the salesperson to close it, who would then hand it to a customer success person. You know, And it was this very linear Process that had rules. And I think we're in a world, especially if we're trying to focus on the account experience, where a much better analogy is more like uh, a football team, where you have players in different positions and then they're passing the ball back and forth, you know, as they kind of move up and down the field. Uh, It's a much more kind of orchestrated, integrated dance. And to make that happen, you know, I mean, it's easier said than done, but I think just a couple things that seem to work, you know, are are one, you just got to be looking at the same data. You know, that's actually the big problem that I had, or one of the biggest problems that we had at Marketo when we were starting to do ABM ourselves. You know, marketing was used to looking in Salesforce and looking at leads. And Salesforce was used to looking at accounts and we were literally not on the same page, you know? And so I think step one is just getting... A common view of the account that marketing and sales can share, so that way, when you're saying, "Hey, we're you know we're talking about IBM," oh, we're talking about the same IBM, and we're looking at the same information about them. Okay, again, it's really really foundational, but it's key. And then from there, I think what you can do is you can sort of literally almost sit down and like decide what are the things that we want to know about when it happens at one of our accounts, and it might be. You know, as broad as a rep saying, anytime one of my target accounts are on the website, send me an alert, right? Or it might be more sophisticated. Hey, if I have a target account and what, and they have a VP or higher who downloads your book, I want to know about that so I can do a personalized follow up. You know, or maybe I have an open opportunity that suddenly starts showing intent for a competitor. You know, those are all things that maybe a rep would actually want to get proactively alerted about. And that's your communication on the field, right? <laughs> Where you're kind of talking to each other. And then and then the last piece that I think really enables that kind of integrated orchestrated team is uh, to implement like what we just call stand-ups, you know, which is taken from the world of agile software development. But you know, put in place a meeting once every two weeks with a marketer, a sales rep, and an SDR Maybe That's it. Don't. No managers. This is not a deal review or an account review or a pipeline review. This is just what's going on at that rep's accounts and what are we going to do? You know what? What plays do we want to run? What activities do we want to do? It sounds really simple, and yet it's so powerful. Just to get marketing sales talking about the same accounts, looking at this. You know, built on that foundation, looking at the same data.
1: How, how how do you how do you approach when when marketers would say, you know, I'd love to do that, but, you know, I'm really having a hard time getting buy in from sales or for them to commit or, you know, I'm worried of they them, you know, not being receptive. You know, I've, I've heard that a lot from marketers. I don't know if that, if you've come across that.
2: Well, I think the part of that depends on where are you in your ABM, ABX journey, you know, to yeah to get a stand up in place you have to have already had some buy-in from the sales team, you know? And so I think you almost have to rewind a little bit. Like, you know, if you want to just start practicing the account-based strategy in general, how do you get sales on board, you know, with that? And, you know, the, probably the single best thing I've seen is, you know, you, it's usually pretty doable to get them to engage in a conversation around which accounts they want to focus on. You know, and, and and it can be as simple as like, hey, we're going to be doing marketing, Mr. and Mrs. Salesperson. You know, we can do it broadly or generally, or we can focus it on the accounts you care about. You know, would you like to tell us which accounts you care about or would you like to have us guess? You know, usually they'll say, sure, I'll tell you the accounts I care about, you know. And at that point, you're sort of brought them into the discussion around, okay, well, why do you, you know, which these are the accounts. And then if you actually can start telling them things that are happening at those accounts that they just said they care about and you're marketing to them and lo and behold, they're actually showing up on the website, right? This is all good because it's like, Hey, these are the accounts you said you care about, you know, and then they're probably ready to be like, Hmm, should we maybe talk about what we want to do to better engage with these accounts that you said you care about?
1: You know, and it kind of goes from there. Got it. No, that, that makes sense. And I think the um. The, the the analogy of, of that you used of passing the baton versus a football or a soccer game uh i think it, it that sounds like the nirvana of of account based experience right like that players are so tuned in to what they do the, the you know the other party does that they are able to work as a team like a like a soccer team or a football team i mean that that sounds like a sounds like a nirvana he, he, for those more advanced level, any any other experience, any other advice that you can think of? Uh, I mean, we talked about a few of them.
2: That's why I talked about those different levels, right? You know, yeah, that might mm-hmm. be on advanced. If you're at a company, you're like, marketing and sales, we don't even talk to each other. You know, <laughs> like, you know, how do you get to that? And that's sort of why, I like, just start by getting a common view of the data, right? And, you know, I mean, because like, mm, that's the first baby step. And so, you know, when you're looking at an account, they're looking, they know what marketing campaigns are affecting their accounts. You can see what emails, what, you know, which ones they're following up on, which emails they're sending, you know, and just having having a shared view. I mean, it's not the only reason marketing sales can't get along, but if you don't have the same view, it's certainly (laughs) going to exacerbate the problem.
1: Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. You talked about data. And you talked about having a, having a clear view. We talked about intent data. There's this whole concept that is getting more and more popular about the, the dark funnel. And, hey, there are things that we can't see of, of customers doing, but they're really important. What are your thoughts on that? What are your thoughts on attribution uh, in, in today's marketing space?
2: Well, I mean, I think attribution and dark funnel concepts are sort of different. I mean... You know, the, the whole dark funnel thing is you know just you know putting a fancy name on a problem that's been around forever, you know, which is you know, we, we don't know you know what our customers are doing. I mean, and but and that that's the whole point of what marketing automation did in the first place, right? Is, is it started giving us the ability to score and focus our time and energy on the right accounts, right? So the only thing that's new today is you know the fact that we're adding. Behaviors for what people are doing off of our website as well as on our website, right? Traditional market automation only scored, hey, they're visiting this webpage, they downloaded that ebook. Because you still want to have access to that data, but you also want to know, oh, hey, your target customer is researching these topics out on the open web. You know, and that's where intent data comes in. I, I, I'm the first one to say intent data is super important. You know, if you don't want to, you know, poke your customers with the spear. <laughs> You know, you should know, you know, what are they interested in and when are they showing increasing interest and use those signals to figure out when to reach out, you know. But to somehow say like that's like magic, something that never existed before, I think is, you know, kind of missing missing the history of kind of how marketing technology has actually evolved. It's just, you know, one other signal that we have that we didn't kind of have before.
1: There is a lot of there is a lot of conversation around. Hey, marketers shouldn't focus on attribution. I don't know if you've come across it. Um, yeah, marketers definitely shouldn't definitely heard
2: people who don't like it.
1: <laughs> yeah what what are what are your thoughts on on some of these some some of the some of the thoughts that are coming from that side that hey marketers should should really not focus on on attribution and and look at some of the other areas um and that and attribution biases marketers and stuff like that. What what are your thoughts on that? So, I mean, first
2: off, I think attribution when done properly is like super crazy important because at the end, like your company, if you're a marketer with a marketing budget, your company is entrusting you to invest dollars to help the company. And if you can't credibly come back and say, I invested these dollars and this is what I got for that, you're being an irresponsible steward of the budget that your company has entrusted you with. And you're very likely going to be put into position of, of, of trying to figure out what you're going to do with less budget, right? If you, if you can't kind mm-hmm. of make those connections. So attribution is the best way to start to tie those, you know, I spent this, I got this, you know? And so at the highest level, I'm a big fan. Where attribution can go very wrong, is if people start treating it as somehow an exact science with precision down to the last decimal, because it's not, right? At the end of the day, it's a model, right? And there's different attribution models that are gonna say, I'm gonna allocate it this way, I'm gonna allocate it that way. And depending on the assumptions you make, you're gonna get a different answer, you know? And so by definition, it's an imperfect science, right? So, so to sum all that up, attribute that attribution is saying hey we ran this event and we got 143% ROI right cuz you don't know if it's 143 or 112 or 174 right good attribution is saying i ran these two different programs and this one clearly did better than that one because it, whatever model attribution i did you can see it got it got more you know and Got so it. using that therefore to make decisions around where you should invest your company's dollars and make invest more of those dollars now you're actually making good factual decisions you know and and that's where i think attribution serves really really well
1: i love that approach i love that balanced approach of like hey yeah don't don't treat it as as science it's a it's a it's it's a model and in the in the technical sense models have outliers and there's a margin of error and there's all that stuff. Um, okay. Got it. And in particularly this one's biased by the assumptions built
2: into the model and that's okay. You know, it just beware of what it is.
1: Got it. Got it. Love it. Last question that I want to ask you before we kind of go into some rapid questions is what are you seeing the next few years for ABX? Like what is, what is going to, I mean, we're, we're, we, we, we've got to the ABX era. What do you think yeah. is coming next? How much time do we have? I mean, so
2: (laughs) the ABX today, the ABM market today feels a lot like market automation did, kind of circa 2010, where the platforms have matured. It's kind of clear what the core capabilities are. And a short list of leaders have kind of emerged. So it's sort of less of a question of, should I buy an ABX platform? And more, hey, which is the right one for me? You know, and so that's an interesting time for the market because it lets us kind of really think about what's the next wave of innovation. So I think we'll see There's sort of three things I'm thinking about there. You know, the first is just a natural extension of the maturity of the market I just said, which is we're gonna see more adoption, uh, I think across more verticals. You know, if you look at most ABM programs today, especially people who've invested in technology, there's a heavy skew towards high tech companies. You know but a demand base in particular you know we see financial services companies pharmaceutical companies manufacturers consulting firms starting to adopt this stuff you know and I think that's sort of one trend we're gonna see is is it becoming more mainstream in in more verticals the second trend I think we're gonna see is probably to me the most exciting because it's potentially the most transformative and that's and we' We're already starting to see a convergence between data providers and workflow providers. You know, by workflow I mean sort of traditional marketing technologies. So to explain that, you know, back to the Marketo days, you know, you would never buy data from Marketo. You know, you you bought Marketo and then you bought data from somebody else and you put it into Marketo, and then things got blurry with ADM. Because in order to sort of predict the accounts that were good for you, demand base and other ABM vendors were basically buying data about accounts, buying intent data or technographics data, um, and bringing it together so that they could sort of build their models and and ultimately come back and say, hey, here's here's our recommendations for the accounts you should be going after, you know, and things like that. And the problem was that all you know. All the vendors were buying data from the same sources, you know. And then those sources, about a year and a half ago, started drying up. You know, the Zoom Info was a big source. Dun and Bradstreet was a big source. And what happened is they started buying workflow companies, right? Their, their, their data vendors were kind of moving into workflow, and all of a sudden they're kind of a little squirrely about, hey, do I want to keep selling my data to these companies? that are increasingly begun my competitors. At Demandbase, we saw that and we were like, it's a game of musical chairs. We don't want that music to stop and we don't have our own data. So we went and we acquired some of the leading data provider, B2B data providers out there. you know. And so at this point, ironically, we actually provide data to some of our competitors. And so increasingly, I think we're gonna get into a world where it's not just about what your technology can do, but it's about what data you actually have, and that will probably. The other thing that I think worth interesting to think about is, is um, you know, ten years ago, Mark Andreessen wrote "Software is Eating the World," you know, and and you know what's happened is I think especially when it comes to things like AI and predictive analytics, the software side of things has increasingly become commoditized, i.e. You can go to Google or Amazon or open source to get very sophisticated machine learning algorithms. Today, what actually differentiates the ability to have kind of great predictions and great AI isn't who's got the algorithm, it's who's got the data that feeds the algorithm. You know And so these things are all coming together where you know I think just you know increasingly in the next three years, you know when we talk about ABM, we'll be talking about data. Uh, as much or more than things like predictive analytics and AI and, you know, and so on and such forth. And then the third trend, which I won't spend so much long on, even though it's probably really interesting, you know, is I think we're finally starting to see some companies and talking about, an analyst talking about the long-awaited convergence of ABM and marketing automation, where, where you know, probably I'll, I'll predict within two years, some companies will not buy a separate marketing automation tool, you know, and we'll be able to get enough of marketing automation functionality from their ABM platform that, that uh, that's all they're going to need.
1: I love that. That was actually a question that I wanted to ask you in the middle of the conversation. I was like, it's not very related. And, but uh, I, I love that you, you kind of see that going in that direction that the ABM platform becomes this this all-encompassing and a lot more suitable for uh, for the B2B organization, especially the ones that are that are going after the, these uh, enterprise accounts. Um, that, was a, that was a really high note. I, I love that uh, answer, John. Really, really appreciate it. I want to ask you a few rapid-fire questions before we wrap up. You good to go? Yep. All right. What is one resource? It could be a book, blog, podcast, talk, whatever it is that has fundamentally changed the way you work or live. What comes to mind? There's a book
2: called Turn the Ship Around, which has a very profound effect on how I work as a leader, as a manager. Uh, It's by a a United States submarine uh, captain, uh, nuclear submarine captain. And like most business books, you can summarize the whole thing in just one or two ideas. He taught his crew to stop asking for permission to do things and instead to come tell them what they intended to do. Uh, and then he's still got, he, I mean, he's in charge of the nuclear submarine. He can't let them run willy-nilly, right? So by by them telling him what they intend, A, he's able to sort of supervise, you know, and and make sure, like, they're not going to, like, do something really stupid. But it also gives him the opportunity to ask questions, to leverage his experience and wisdom to guide them, perhaps, uh, if they hadn't sort of thought about certain things. So I found that to be a really great metaphor for how I want to manage lead teams. You know, is just trying to teach my people, don't don't ask me for permission. Just come tell me what you intend to do, but also be prepared. I'm going to ask questions.
1: Love it. Uh, John, who are some of the influencers you kind of follow, whether it's in the in the leadership side or in the B2B marketing space?
2: You know, I couldn't have possibly come up with all the things I talk about in in ADM without kind of the work of folks like the ITSMA. You know, and Bev Burgess kind of at the ITSMA has been a big influence. Um, and honestly, the the analyst firms, you know, whether it was the, you know, way back to Megan Huer at Serious Decisions, she's not there anymore, you know, or, or Craig Rosenberg from Topo or, you know, what Gartner and Forrester are doing today. I mean, I still think that some of the best, um, some of the best ABM thinking is, is is still frankly coming from, you know, from the from the analysts and the vendors, you know, kind of you know, in the space. And then in terms of management, besides friendship Round, the other uh I'm also a fanboy of Patrick Lencioni and his uh books on leadership. Awesome.
1: All right. Last thing I want to ask you is is more of a personal question. It's different from the usual questions that we ask in the rapid fire, right? And and I'm I'm probably interested in this because I have a technical background and I wanna to, wanna to know. You you come from a physics major, you have physics background in physics, and you've kind of transitioned into marketing. I'm really curious, how has that helped you with kind of getting into the marketing space? It's a, you know, I don't wanna say it's a, it's a strange transition, but it's it's an unusual, you don't see that very often. Uh, yeah. h- how has that helped you? There's two pieces of my background that I think have helped make me the marketer I am today. You know, one
2: is physics. You know, marketing is increasingly as much of a science as an art. It's increasingly left-brained as well as right-brained. Um, and I think, you know, just physics taught me to think analytically and rigorously appropriate. And I mean, that that helps helped me, you know, as a marketer in, in many ways. The other piece of my background is less, less of my public profiles. But, you know, if you go back, I was on the journalism and uh, debate teams in high school. And so I spent a lot of time writing. I did a lot of kind of creative design uh, and a lot of public speaking. And those have all been fantastic skills to sort of to take forward into, you know, a marketer day because I create content and I give presentations. Um, so I think both of those kind of that kind of content side of things, as well as the quantitative side of things, have been very valuable as a marketer.
1: Love it. Love it. John. This has been a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. I really appreciate that you gave us the time and, uh, and coming on the podcast. Thank you so much.
0: Cheers. Thanks so much for joining us on this episode. If you enjoyed it, please consider leaving us that five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and sharing the pod with a friend. If you'd like to continue the conversation, please make sure to join the community Slack channel at growthcolony.org forward slash Slack growthcolony.org forward slash slack thanks again for all the support we're looking forward to seeing you again in the next one